Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. I am not Sam. I don't know if you noticed, um, but Sam is not here today. Um, and I don't know, I think maybe Sam, are you on the couch watching today? I don't know. He, he, his plans kind of fell through, but um, I had already committed to doing this. And initially he asked me to um, cover first last week. He asked if I could do last week, and I could not. Um, so I missed the opportunity to speak to you about Daniel chapter 3 and I got stuck with Daniel chapter 4. <laughs> Not that there's any one that's better than the other, but it's a lot of fun to talk about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, today's a little different. So um, I have a few announcements. I usually do a pastor joke when Sam's not around, so we'll, do, we'll start with a pastor joke. <laughs> so we'll use Pastor Sam as an example. Pastor Sam was visiting... <laughs> He was visiting someone in the hospital, an elderly woman, and uh, as he was talking with her and praying with her, he was also munching on a jar of peanuts that were on her bed next to her, on the tray on the bed next to her. And by the time he got up to leave, he said, I'm so sorry I ate all your peanuts. I'm going to ask the nurse to bring you more. And she said, oh, no, Pastor. Oh, no, it's okay. I already sucked all the chocolate off of them before you got here. But um, don't. And Sam sent me some announcements for this morning. So here they are. Tonight at 5 o'clock on Instagram, if you are on Instagram, please join us for take two. So it'll be Sam and I talking about uh, some of what we'll be talking about this morning from Daniel chapter 4. So if you're around, if you have Instagram, if you don't have Instagram, you should sign up for it because it's a little bit like Facebook without all the politics. So... (laughs) If you're tired of that, make the switch and join us tonight at 5. It'll be live, um, Instagram live, and you'll find find us at the Genesis story there. Uh, There's also a newsletter that has gone out, and if you haven't received it, it's because we don't have you signed up for it. Now, you can sign up for it today if you go to thegenesisstory.com, and there's a sign-up form. down below the contact us information. So you can sign up for the newsletter there. Uh, I'll also post it on our Facebook feed so you can do it there as well. And um, you'll want to stay up on the latest information from what's going on. You know, when we have more information information about when we'll be meeting in person, we don't have any information to share today. But when those things start to happen, it'll all be in the newsletter. 
one one kind of form letter to tell us everything that's going on with our community. And if you have um, uh, prayer requests, if you have um, ideas about how to connect with people, we'd love to hear those things. So please info at thegenesisstory.com. That's the email. And um, you can also contact us through the website. And then finally... While we're talking about the website, you can also give there. So you can imagine during COVID times and during these weird times when we're meeting this way rather than in person, uh, some people miss the opportunity to worship through giving. And you can still do that. Just do that on the website, thegenesisstory.com. And then uh, finally, on Wednesday at 10 a.m., Sam has been leading through meditative prayer. And if you've never done meditative prayer... You might think it sounds pretty hippie-ish, and it might be, but it's really cool. It's really beneficial. I've been joining in the last uh, few weeks as I can, uh, 10 o'clock on Wednesday a.m. If you need to start off de-stressing and giving your day to Jesus, it's a great way to do it. So uh, that's on Instagram as well. All right. That is it for announcements today. I'm going to talk to you about pickled pig's feet, underwater basket weaving, turkey basters, and Teletubbies. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. I don't know how Sam does that, but I can't. So <laughs> Today I'm going to be talking to you about Daniel chapter 4. Um, before we get there, I guess... Um, uh, a couple of things... I don't know if you are feeling stressed out, but my assumption is in some way many of us are feeling overwhelmed and stressed and uh, maybe even confused because it's hard to know what to believe from all the information that is coming from everywhere. And I want to share that, you know, we're all there. We're all there, and it's a little bit normal. Um, We can obviously cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. Uh, We can obviously give those things over in prayer. But let's just be real. These are stressful times, and um, I want to acknowledge a few things before we get into today's word. Uh, The professionals say that there are four levels of stress that are uh, connected to crises like we're facing right now. So the first one, they say, is heroic The second one is honeymoon. The third one is disillusionment. And the fourth one we'll get to a little bit later. But you might be familiar with the the phrase fight or flight. That is the heroic phase, right? When we first uh, are faced with a stressor, and it might be the news about COVID-19, or it might be a car accident, or it might be... um, Uh, a meme you've seen on your Facebook wall that you didn't like. (laughs) Whatever the stressor is, you have an immediate reaction because you get an adrenaline spike. And that is you either fight or you walk away, which they say is flight. Now, normally, um, my wife, Brianna, is a fighter. So whenever a stressor comes, she's the heroic one, right? I I need time to deal with stuff. (laughs) So I'll back off. My wife is like, let's take this on, let's fix it, let's get it worked out. That's how she deals with stress, unless the stressor is a Japanese flying beetle. Then she's all flight. (laughs) 
and she runs pretty fast. This is the heroic phase. We're past that. We, we dealt with that with COVID a long time ago, six months ago almost, right? It's been a long time. Am I right? The beginning of it, five and a half, six months ago. That's called the heroic phase of stress. We fight with it, we, or we just, we just try to do away, take our time to deal with it slowly, and the adrenaline slowly goes down. Next, we go through the honeymoon phase, which is when we're feeling good about being in a stressor environment together. So you remember maybe after 9-1-1-2001 when we would watch both sides of the political spectrum come together and stand on the steps of Congress and sing America the Beautiful together. That's the honeymoon phase. This is the phase when we start saying things like, we're all in this together. And, uh, you know, and we're, and we're cheerful. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, 15 days to, to stop the curve, and, and, we're, and we're behind this. We're all in this together. But now it's been a few months down the road, and when we hear we're all in this together, we roll our eyes, or if, if we hear a celebrity say it, we're, we think, like, you're not in this with me. You're sitting on a pile of cash, and I'm running low. <laughs> Or we just get irritated by the sound of that. We're all in this together. I've heard that for months now, and you know, here we are. Yeah, great. That's because we've reached the disillusionment phase of stress. And what the experts say about this is that you're, deal- you're going to deal with this in one of two ways, most likely. The first one is called hyperarousal. And that's when you find yourself being irritated by everything. You're, you're grumpy. Your, your friend scratches their arm and you're like, can you not do that? You know, you're just like, everything bugs you. That's how you're dealing with stress because our bodies can deal with the adrenaline rush. The first stressor we can deal with that, we're made for that. But over a long period of time, your adrenaline's back down and the stressor is still there. It hasn't gone away, it hasn't changed, or it's becoming more and more confusing because the data changes so often. And so we're now feeling this disillusionment factor, and you're probably there. This is what they would call crisis fatigue. We're tired of being tired. We're tired of being stressed out. We're stressed out about being stressed out. We can't go see our friends. We can't go sit down in a restaurant. We can't go do the things that we'd like to do. We're supposed to wear masks, all these things that we're tired of. The second part, so you either are hyperarousal where you're agitated by everything, but the second part of that is that we might be withdrawn. This is actually, they consider the most dangerous because this is where you start to think, this is never going to get better. This is just going to be the new way that we live. And you start to give up hope. And so wherever you find yourself in this gamut of stressors, I just want to say, If you feel withdrawn, if you feel hopeless, then please reach out. Reach out to to us, reach out to me, reach out to Sam, reach out to Gil, Lydia. Reach out, and we'd love to talk to you. And in fact, all of this is to say what Sam says all the time. We need to find ways to stay connected. We need to find ways to be in touch and that looks different for everybody. It might be a FaceTime call. It might be a Skype call. It might be a Zoom meeting. It might be um, an old-fashioned telephone call. (laughs) 
It might be visiting somebody in person if they're comfortable, if you're comfortable, you know, follow the CDC guidelines. If you would, be smart about it. Stay six feet apart. Wear a mask. But don't stay isolated because we're not made for that. We're made for community. We're made in the image of the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. We're made to be in community as well. And so I hope that you find ways. If you have found ways to connect with people, small gatherings in a backyard or something of that nature, then um, if you have ideas about this, post in the comments below. Let us know what you're up to. Uh, let us know how we can help. It's been a long time for us as before since we've since we've met face to face and since we've been able to you know shake hands and give hugs and all those normal human connections. It's bad enough that we can't do that. Let's not lose uh, touch points. And anywhere we can find them is where we'll take them right now. But let's connect. Um, okay. Well, what about Daniel chapter 4, you ask? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. Let's get to it. Let's talk about this powerful leader. Let's talk about this commanding monarch with absolute power. Let's talk about this leader who seems to be all over the proverbial map when it comes to things like behavior and morality and pride and humility and even faith. Some would say he's narcissistic. But we know him so far because the first three chapters of Daniel, we've seen him as the antagonist in our plot. But the antagonist with this redeeming nature because at the end of every story, he seems to see the light, even if it's just for a time. He seems to catch glimpses of what's happening in and through the lives of Daniel and his friends. We've seen that. We've seen this incredible, inspiring, steadfast and immovable faith of Daniel and his three amigos. <laughs> and if you're like me, you put yourself squarely on their side and you say things to yourself like, well, of course, if I was there, I would not bow down and worship that golden statue. I would gladly take the furnace. <laughs> I mean, I hope that we would. But it's easy to say that from this side of history. It's easy to claim our faithfulness from this side of what's happened. But it's another thing when we go through troubled times, like we are currently, to know exactly how to act, what actions we should take, what things are glorifying to God and what things are not. So it's different if we put our, if we put our big boy pants on in times like this and ask God, much like Daniel and his friends, I want to stay close to you. I want to glorify you. I want to be building your kingdom in the midst of everything that's going on around me. What does that look like? 
What does that look like? Again, I'm going to encourage you guys to, to interact below. And um, in the comments of, of YouTube or later on Facebook or wherever you find this, interact with this a little bit. What does that look like? What we're, we're given in challenges, we're always given opportunities, right? So what does that look like? What are the opportunities to be the church that we've never been because we're not the church that we were, are used to being? We know that, that the church is not a building. We know that the church is us. And so if we can't meet in a building, what can we do? What's the opportunity? What, what should we be doing? And how should we be the Daniels of, of our age? What does that look like? Interact with that a little bit. If you'll remember back to Daniel 1, Daniel and the, the Hebrew trio, as I like to call them, purposed in their hearts that they were, though they were moved to a city that was not their city, in a culture that was not their culture, that was foreign in almost every way to them, under a king that had destroyed their beloved city and Solomon's beautiful temple, this is where they find themselves. And they purposed in their heart to learn everything they could about this, this new world for them. But more importantly, they purposed in their heart to be faithful and true to Yahweh. And they purposed in their heart to not defile themselves before their true king. And maybe you can relate to that. And I know Sam talked about that. We talked a little bit about that on the Take Two thing on Instagram a couple of weeks ago. Perhaps you relate. Perhaps you find yourself in the story because you're looking around the world that we're in today and you're like, this isn't, this isn't my way of life. This isn't what I'm used to. Things are changing really rapidly and you find yourself feeling a little out of sorts, out of place, out of the norm. And so what do we do? What do we do that's like Daniel and his friends? We look around, we reassess, we learn everything we can about what's going on, and we commit ourselves to staying close to Yahweh, not defiling ourselves, but being his, his hands and his feet. These heroic men of faith who worked harder than everybody else, Daniel and his friends, to show that their God is good. These men of wisdom and resolve show time and time again how their God proved himself strong when no other gods even showed up, even showed up at the table. These undefiled believers who would rather be burned alive than worship some statue that had no power or had earned no worship. They stood immovable, strong, and steadfast. And oh, that we would be like Daniel and like Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah in a world that is in so much need of a spiritual center that we would be those people. But today, we're in Daniel chapter 4. Today, we have something, I think, that's pretty unique in the Scriptures, something different, something unexpected. Today, we get to hear from the one, the only, the strange, eclectic King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And maybe, just maybe, if we're honest, if we're really honest, 
we find ourselves in his story too. So if you would, Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV, and I'm going to plow through some of this because it's a lot. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God. And the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of all magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions that I had while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. And he called out in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given to the mind of an animal, till seven times pass pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers, the holy ones that declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Balthasar, tell me what this means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Let's nutshell this. Let's just simplify this down and we'll keep going. But King Nebuchadnezzar had another dream. This isn't to be confused with chapter two. This is a different dream. And I find this fascinating in and of itself because we talked about this, you know, in, in a culture and a time where dreams were really 
important. We see that God himself is giving these visions, these dreams to this pagan king. And it's, and it's an interesting fact. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar responds to these in various ways. Uh, but we see, we'll see when we get to the end of this how, how this affects his heart in the long run. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was witnessing firsthand Yahweh on the move. He was dreaming dreams that were these wild dreams, these somewhat wonderful dreams, but also completely frightening dreams. And he grew to trust in Daniel, this, this migrant Hebrew, even more than the people of his own heritage. Because as he assessed the spirit of the holy God that was in him, we know that Daniel was speaking from God because the Holy Spirit of the one true God was giving him these interpretations. So here the dream is of this massive, larger-than-life, life-giving tree. It was so big, he says, that it touched the sky. It provided for everyone and everything around it, under it, in its shade. But a messenger from heaven says, cut it down, cut it all out, cut it, get, get rid of it except for the trunk. Let's leave the trunk. And let's leave the, the roots still in the ground. Why? So that the living may know that God is sovereign over all the nations. It's a lot. Daniel interprets the dream in verse, starting in verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Balthasar, was greatly perplexed for a long time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Balthasar... Do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And because it says, don't be worried, just, just give it to me, give it to me straight. And Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top, with its tr- its top touching the sky, when it was visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places and its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are the tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it has reached the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump. Leave the stump bound with iron and bronze and in the grass of the field. While its roots remain in the ground, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree from the Most High. He is issued against my lord, the king. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. And be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump and the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, Your Majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right 
and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And maybe then that your prosperity will continue. What I'm stricken with by Daniel's interpretation isn't so much the interpretation as it is the tenderness with which he approaches it, full of wisdom and grace, and this compassion for the king, this king who had conquered his people, who had torn down his city, this king who he he came to study because this is what he was doing. He saw himself maybe as a, a missionary in a foreign land with the idea that he's there to bring Yahweh to a new people. And he cares in some way for this king enough to give it to him straight, but give it to him softly in a, in a caring way. And he says, you know, I, I wish it was your enemies that I was talking about here. I wish it was your enemies that God gave you this vision about. I wish it was somebody else, but it's not. It's you. So Daniel, with all humility and that same immovable meekness that for me, I recognize Jesus in that. I recognize Jesus in his approach. I recognize Jesus in the way he talked to his disciples. Oh, oh you of little faith. <laughs> Which I think was a term of endearment by the time he, they'd heard it for the fourth time. And the woman at the well and all the ways that Jesus talked to people, it was direct, but it was with compassion. It was with love. It wasn't angry and it wasn't mean and it wasn't, see, I told you. It was, man, <laughs> I wish this was, was news about somebody else, but it's not. It's you. You have become powerful. You have built an impressive empire, but for all you have done, your pride and arrogance, you have also been the oppressor. And so you will be driven away from people like an animal. The trunk will remain, its roots intact, so that when you do humble yourself and acknowledge the one true God, you will be restored. When I read this, Daniel's approach is a reminder to me. It's a big, it was a big reminder to me, I'm going to be honest. That though we might not agree with the leaders of our country or our state or our cities, that we may not agree with all the policies or behaviors. The way of Jesus calls us to be tender-hearted toward them. And it reminded me to be in prayer for their best interests. And pray that God would give them the wisdom and wherewithal to do the right thing for our country, for our state, for our district, or for our city, or wherever they serve. And uh, that, is, that is the way of Daniel. That is the way of Jesus. Verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. All this happened. What Daniel said happened. Verse 29. Twelve months later, so it's been a year, twelve months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said... Is not the great Babylon, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? 
even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what what was decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven. His hair grew like feathers of an eagle, and his nails like the claws of a bird. Just a side note, I found this section of Scripture interesting because it's taking us out of the first person. You know, the first part of this was Nebuchadnezzar saying, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I, he's talking directly to us. But in verse 28, it breaks that. And it says, all this happened to him. All this happened to him. He comes back directly talking to us again in verse 34. We'll see that in a minute. We see that 12 months after his dream, the interpretation was given. 12 months later, as he looks out over everything he's accomplished, as he's looking out over his... I mean, this was an, this was an impressive empire. But he's looking at it, and you, you can almost hear in his voice a swagger and expression about how good I am. <laughs> Look at this kingdom. Look at the vastness of what I've built. As far as the eye can see, look at this house I've made by my power for my glory. Nebuchadnezzar, I know Sam's kind of walked through this a little bit, but at this time, he was the absolute monarch. He was unchallenged. He had defeated the Assyrians. He had defeated Israel, Judah. He, he had conquered the then known world. Everything that they knew about. He conquered. He was the absolute power. He reigned for something like 43 years. He was not an armchair commander when they went to battle. He led in battle. He's a very interesting character. He's mentioned in the Bible throughout several times. He built a city that was bigger and in many ways more splendid than New York City. from Egypt to Syria. He built what was known as the Hanging Garden of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. He had want for nothing. By his own words in verse 4, he was contented and prosperous. He said in the very next verse, though, that he had a dream that made him afraid. But what a difference from the time that we see him calling Daniel forward and saying, Daniel, I know you can interpret this dream because you know something that these other guys don't. You have access to gods, he says. This, you have access to something that these guys don't understand. And Daniel gives it to him straight. And Daniel says, if you will humble yourself, if you will be kind to the oppressed now, then maybe you don't have to go through all this. And it only takes a year for Nebuchadnezzar to stand and let his pride show. Within a year of that dramatic experience of God actually giving him a dream and speaking to him through Daniel, just like that, 
ego, call it narcissism, power, control, whatever it might be, it's pride. It's pride. And so pride's a funny word because it means so many different things to so many different people. Pride is a really hard thing to preach about. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> because it's a it's it's a it's a week long trial of being humbled. And this morning I was walking out the door and my wife asked me to take the trash out on my way. And a little bit in my head, I didn't say it out loud, I was like, well, don't you know I'm going to preach God's word? And no joke, grabbed the trash and I walked outside and I stepped in a huge pile of my own dog's stinky mess. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's a week long of that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, so Sam, you, you escaped it this week, but I know you got to talk about it next week again. Uh, it's it's um, it's funny stuff, but pride means a lot of a lot of things to a lot of different people. We celebrate these things most often. We we teach our children to be proud of themselves for their accomplishments. We're proud of them for their accomplishments. We uh, we see pride as something you know of, of, of people like we're proud as a nation, or we're proud of people for what they've overcome. Uh, we are proud of the Dodgers when they win. We celebrate pride in so many different ways. We beam with pride when our loved ones succeed. But then we see all these scriptures, and there are hosts of them. There are hundreds of scriptures that tell us things like this. Proverbs 11.2, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humble... With the humble, there is wisdom. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Galatians 6, 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself. The Bible is riddled with warnings about pride. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't feel proud of your baby girl when she takes her first steps or proud of your friend who has uh, established some compassionate act of charity or you shouldn't feel proud of the Dodgers when they win. It's not that. But what is the lesson of Nebuchadnezzar? When you look at the good thing, when life is going well and things are good and you look at the good things in your life and when you see that all that you have accomplished and you think to yourself, I'm successful and I'm more successful than other people because I work harder than them. When you think to yourself, I have what I have because I'm owed this. Then let that be a red flag in your heart. And conversely, it works the same way as when your life is going really poorly and you say, I've suffered more than anybody and so I am owed this. Let that be a red flag in your thinking because you're on dangerous ground. The truth is spiritual pride keeps us from seeing and understanding that what we really deserve is a kick in the pants and a one-way ticket to where the sun ain't shining. 
and why Paul tells us like this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, for who makes you different than anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Lydia, I know, is a songwriter. And I understand a collection, a record coming out? His first one? My first one. Your first. So that's exciting. But if I went around telling everybody that I wrote those songs and gave them to Lydia so that she could be celebrate them, she'd probably be pretty upset. And it wouldn't be true. But why would she be upset? Because it's her work, her investment of time and money and blood, sweat and tears. It's her art. It's her passion project. In the same way, creation and mankind, who sets up kings and kingdoms? Is it Nebuchadnezzar? Or is it the Most High God? See, so when Nebuchadnezzar claims this, when he lays claim to God's handiwork, God takes notice. And God doesn't much like it. In fact, Daniel had already warned him about this in chapter 2, verse 37, where he says, Your Majesty, speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar, this is high praise. He says, You are the King of Kings. But then he says, The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, wherever they live, he has made you the ruler over them. In other words, Daniel tells the king, you are, you are a mighty man. You've done, you've accomplished some great things, but you've done it because the God of heaven has given them to you. Lest you think you're owed it. You're not. God has given it to you. God has given you certain gifts. God has given you certain talents, certain interests. He's made you a certain way. You were formed in his likeness, like we all are, to accomplish certain feats, certain things that he had laid out for us before we were born. And so those those things are mysterious, I'm not going to lay claim to knowing how that all happens, but I'm saying when Nebuchadnezzar said, I did this, I'm owed all this, I deserve all this, God stepped in to strip him of his pride and give him a huge dose of a pile of dog poop to step in. His mistake is that he had seen the hand of the Almighty with his own eyes but he failed to recognize him as the author, the gift-giving God who has the real power to create kingdoms or take them away. But the story doesn't end there with the crazed king, disgraced and animalistic, so let's read the rest. In verse 34 it says, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does 
as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold him back. No one can hold his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Just like that, the story arc <laughs> comes to a happy ending, much like those 30-minute TV shows we were used to watching on any sitcom of choice. Over the past few weeks, we have seen the exemplary faith, the exemplary faith and boldness of Daniel, and we aspire to be like Daniel or his friends. We are inspired by them. But today we see a man whom by his own admission was content and prosperous one moment, but then afraid the next. He was given a warning. He was told how to respond in humility, to stand for the oppressed. And another, standing for the oppressed, by the way, is a massive, screen, a massive uh, part of the scriptures. It's a massive theme throughout the Bible. Um, and so he's called just to kind of live this life, and we see that he fails. He fails because he's filled with pride. And like I said, in 12 months' time, he became filled with pride and arrogance and had forgotten not only that he had what he had because it was bestowed upon him by the Most High God who in some mysterious way sets up kingdoms and kings. And Paul says it like this in Romans 13. He says, For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Nebuchadnezzar gets through the seven times uh, by him, which scholars uh, aren't really sure if that means seven months or seven seasons. And some translations of the Bible even say seven years um, of, of craziness. And then he's restored. In the beginning, I mentioned that there are four levels of stress, and we talked about the heroic, we talked about the honeymoon, we talked about the disillusionment where we find ourselves in this kind of uh, crisis fatigue. But then the fourth, the fourth uh, cycle of stress is what they call reconstruction, new beginnings. Hope is restored. And this is the first, this is the full circle for King Nebuchadnezzar as he declares it in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I'm going to close quickly. I've gone a long time. But let us walk in humility, friends. That's what we're called to. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way of Daniel. It's what we've been learning time after time. We can be proud of who we are because, after all, it is God who is forming us to be. We can be humbled because we are his handiwork. We can be humble to do the work of the kingdom. And that's ultimately what Nebuchadnezzar had to learn.
now we have work to do. We have to figure out how we're going to keep our connections alive, figure out what this new normal looks like, figure out how we can be the church walking in humility, looking like Jesus. I'd say, um, how do we do that? How do we do that on social media? How do we do that in the marketplaces that are still open? How do we do that? I, I saw somebody tweeted this week. He said, uh, where are the people? Where are they allowed to go? Where are they allowed to be? Because us Christians should be there too. There's always this call to action. We are called to bridge gaps. But also I know that these are challenging times, and therefore I know they're also brimming with opportunity. And I want to leave you with this familiar but powerful scripture for inspiration for this week. From James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. This is from... um, This is from the message translation where he writes... James writes, consider it, sheer, consider it a sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that you're under pressure. Your faith life is forced to come out into the open, and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let's do the work so that you become mature and well-developed and not deficient in any way. Stay humble out there, friends. God is forming you into something amazing, and he's building his church and his kingdom, whether we're part of it or not. Tune in next week for Daniel chapter 5. Lydia's going to come up and sing that song for us one more time. And I look forward to your comments, and we'll talk to you soon. God bless you. Have a great week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.